0: welcome to Emma's podcast. So today I have somebody that I'm interested. We started a conversation just before I'm starting to record it. I'm like, no, we cannot go anymore. Stop, stop. No more talking until we're recording it because otherwise I don't want to miss any sentences, any insight, anything from you. So I have, so I'm going to and introduce you, Drew Duranet, but I need to give a little bit of the profile of Drew because there is a, one thing that caught my attention actually, because I have a data analyst background too. <laughs> and that's why I'm like, oh my goodness, we got something going on here. Mm-hmm. Seriously. So you were a capital buyer purchasing department and uh from the University of Medical Center. So it looks like you're all in medical, actually. Then you moved. To a data analyst, planning department, uh, which is again into the health system. Ooh, we're going to ask you why you went that route. Then you became a patient center care specialist, which is awesome because we need those. And you became a strategic partner as Kule and Mitchell, Mitchell, not yeah. Mitchell, but Mitchell, let's pronounce it right. Uh, you became an independent affiliate for, uh, I don't know if I'm going to do the acronym, but ACEA, I don't know how it's pronounced, but S-E-A. I'm sure you're going to let me know in a minute. Mm-hmm. And I like the title you've got, move on to um, one, it's Chief Resilience Officer at Profit Compassion LLC, which is your company. It is. And you're going to talk more about this. Mm-hmm. So hi, Drew, how are you doing?
1: I'm well, Emma. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Wonderful. So, I have to ask you. The first question I have is, why the medical world? Because you started in the medical mm-hmm. world. So, why? What inspired you to do that? You wanted to be a doctor. You or you uh, always wanted to to work in a medical field.
1: Yeah, I think uh, you know, as a young kid. Um you know you learn around you 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 end up either wanting to be a doctor or a lawyer or a police officer, all these kind of things. I've always been intrigued with with science and I've always been intrigued with human behavior so right there was be a doctor, I love children, so I want to be a pediatrician and wow. that's uh that's how that's really what my mindset was even throughout high school. And uh, and when I was looking for colleges. So, yeah, I've always been interested in I've always wanted to help people. I always I remember always telling my dad I want to help people. And when I was going to go into healthcare and psychology, he said, you know, you can still make money and help people. I said, I know, I know, I know. I'll make money. <laughs> Don't worry about Dad. I'm going to. You know. So that's what. Yeah. So that's always been an interest in in serving people, helping, helping people.
0: So you became an analyst. You you so you didn't went to the doctor path, but you still went into the medical path.
1: I did, yeah, because I, I entered college with an undeclared major. I had a pre-med concentration, so I wanted to go in undeclared. Mm-hmm. So I started out, you know, taking biology and still thinking I wanted to go into pre-med, but not really sure. And I mean, the defining moment was I didn't do, do well in physics. I didn't, didn't, didn't do well in that. And I also remember um, on a Thursday night, um, I looked and I saw all the biology majors sitting in the hallway with their big textbook studying.
2: Mm-hmm. And then
1: my roommates were getting ready to go out to the bar. <laughs> and I'm sitting now, I'm like, okay, I have a very important decision to yep. make. Like so sit in the hallway and study <laughs> biology. Yeah. do I go out? Well, Drew chose to go out. And, uh, <laughs> you know, so, so I said, okay, so if I don't go into the, the hard natural sciences, uh-huh. I still want to go into some type of science. So I chose psychology and I'm glad I did because what makes people tick? Who, uh, why are we who we are? That's what always intrigued me. So I was psychology and then, uh, again then I started thinking do I want to be a psychologist or a psychiatrist mm-hmm. and then if I did go into that I wanted to be a child psychologist well I had this this knack of always taking people's problems home with me and I I knew that if I went professionally in that oh. I couldn't imagine being a p a child yeah. psychologist and I wouldn't, if I wasn't able to break that habit and bring it home, I couldn't do it. You know, it also could be me being justifying and talking myself out of things. So I ended up, uh, I remember having lunch with one of my psychology professors. And he asked me a very good question. Drew, what do you want to do in your life after you leave here in college? And I said, I have no idea. Still, after my parents paid all that money for college, still yep. didn't know. And, and he said to me, <laughs> what do you... What do you enjoy? I said, I love healthcare, the sciences, and I love mm-hmm. human behavior, and I love numbers. Numbers to me, data tells a story to me. Yes. And so he said, have you ever thought of healthcare administration? And I had no idea what he was talking about. I just figured a hospital was doctors and nurses. Yep. Not really thinking that it's four walls and somebody's got to run it. Yep. So I said, I could do that. So he suggested I reach out to uh the hospitals so i kind of bypassed human resources i wrote letters to the presidents of hospitals because at that time there was no internet no nothing so i would send letters and and i was i had stayed on at college and i worked full time in the psychology department as the laboratory supervisor so i did research with the with the with the, the professors i had a couple pu- couple publications which is where the data and human behavior really started to collide and um, he suggested, this teacher, my, my mentor, when you write that letter, you're not writing a letter asking for a job. You're writing a letter, you're midway through your master's in applied psychology, write a letter and tell them you're interested in getting into healthcare administration, you're halfway through your master's, mm-hmm. what would they recommend I should take in courses in the second half of my master's to help me get into to healthcare administration? Brilliant, brilliant strategy. It's more
0: than brilliant.
1: Oh God and I did that and mm-hmm. and uh, I think I got I got responses. I had written to presidents at hospitals in Connecticut, New York, and New Jersey. I got responses from most of them. Um, I ended up actually being invited to one of the hospitals to sit with the CEO and he recommended um, and I hadn't even really learned about this gentleman, but W. Edwards Deming and 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 uh you know process management and the whole you know how yep. how when that's he awesome. brought it when he brought it to total quality management to the united states they mm-hmm. turned him down we're not interested so he went out to yeah. japan and we well, know what happened with the oh well,
0: yeah the, and the, oh yeah well japan yes they got all of the processes in place that's why they have to co- Sorry, but constructing the, one of the best cars in the world, mm-hmm. and they don't make mistakes on their lines. If you want yeah. a faulty uh, part, you have to ask them to make a faulty part. Exactly. Actually. Exactly. That's yeah. how, and they picked up everything was coming from the U.S. Uh, after yeah. the war, Second War. So yeah. yes, absolutely. Yeah. They, that's why they are so good at what they have done. It's
1: very true. Very true. Mm-hmm. So I, I dove head first into learning about total, uh, you know, quality management and yep. W. Edwards Deming and. And I ended up, uh, you know, when I graduated and got my master's, I did get a job at, uh, at, at not the hospital where I got that that advice, but I went to uh-huh. Hackensack University Medical Center, and I worked started out in purchasing. And and for me, it was a lot of numbers, right? You had to negotiate. Yeah. But what I felt, in order for me to really understand what I'm negotiating, because I didn't want to be um have the sales reps try to convince me to buy stuff that wasn't needed. Yep. I made it a point to, to reach out to the doctors and the nurses, those people who are going to be using the supplies, using the equipment. Learn. And I wanted to understand like, why, mm-hmm. what do they need in this equipment? So I get them what they need at the best price.
3: Mm-hmm. And
1: uh, you know, and I, I had a lot of pushback. Like I, they okay. wanted to know if I was like, uh, questioning their pra- their their practice habits, and I said, "No, I'm just curious, because if you tell me it needs to have A, B, and C, and I ask you why, and you tell me how it would benefit the patient by yes. making whatever you do easier and mm-hmm. quicker, and still help the patient, mm-hmm. then I'm all for it." Um, you know, and that was really the start of my healthcare career, where I really pushed the pushed the envelope because I always wanted to do the right thing for the patients. And I did. I, regardless of what the reaction would be, I could have easily just buy everything they wanted, but I wanted to do the right thing. So.
0: And I think it's understanding as well, even as a buyer or anyone. Uh, and I always—that's funny—you've done that because I've done the same thing. That's why it's kind of that makes me smile because I'm like, wow. oh, I'm like, okay, I'm a mini Drew somehow, somewhere over the good. rainbow because. Um become a being a buyer and it doesn't matter if it's in medical or anywhere else it's learning the product as well because yeah. a lot of people will buying and have no clue yeah. and for me understanding what i'm buying it why i'm buying it uh yeah. what the purpose of it too and i'm not we're not talking on the instrument we're talking um medication as well Uh, everything, it brings a deeper knowledge of what you're doing and a better care as well. Because if something is not quite right, or something is out of stock, then you might have another uh, possibility to get something else might work or not. It all depends, but at least it's the knowledge. Knowledge is the key and it's how you do a better job as well. And a lot of people I feel uh, are not taking advantage of it. They're no, sitting true. in their chairs and they say, well, if this is not there, sorry, I cannot order it. It's out of stock. It's like, you don't even do the extra mile right. that I would have done to, okay, if this is, doesn't work, where, do we have a backup? Do we have somewhere else? Do we have another buyer? Yeah. Um, um, yeah I mean, No, a seller um, that could provide that as well. So it's very interesting you went that route. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. So you went from a buyer to a patient care. So,
1: well... It was interesting how this this ended up happening because I, you know, I worked three years in the purchasing department. And one of my roles was to be the conduit between materials management and the construction department. So yep. I was so I got to sit in the meetings when the hospital was planning new departments, all this stuff. And then when when you know, I and I would learn with the architects and the whole construction, because I would have to procure the yep. equipment. I'm gonna talk yep. MRIs, all the But in in stages. And so I would have to negotiate, like Mm -hmm. even buy the stuff at a lower price, but have the company hold it for us until it was ready and really learned a lot about uh, forward thinking and forward planning. Yeah. And also stuff, obviously, within a budget. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so what happened was I was exposed to people in the operating room because we were expanding the O.R., Mm -hmm. And the hospital at that time was building a same day surgery center, which was relatively new back in the early 90s when I was working there. And after my time working with the director of the OR, she called me and she said, Drew, how would you like to be the first non-nurse in the operating room to be the support services manager? And I'm like, I would love that. Yes. I would love that. So <laughs> I got to yeah, and Emma, I got to trade in my jacket and tie for scrubs.
0: I know. It's like you can walk in the in the hospital I, and say, would Yeah, would you come can to pretend work. I'm a
1: doctor. I yeah, I would change into scrubs. And and I was in my in my late twenties and yeah. I had 50 some odd people reporting to me because I was responsible not just for materials manager, the people who bought the supplies and the equipment.
3: Yeah. yeah.
1: I had the um the um equipment technicians yes. so the people who would be our first line of defense to fix yep. the machines before Calibration we call and everything else too yep and nice. i had this i also had um the environmental aids the people who cleaned yep. and sterilized the operating room between yep. surgical cases mm-hmm. wow and i loved that because That's i huge. was the type of manager who i wanted to learn yeah. how to do things the steps and i wanted to put myself in the yep. shoes of those people So I would be known to be holding a mop and learning from the environmental aids how to clean an OR, how to sterilize an OR. And and that way I also learned what the best type of floor there was so, so you didn't have harbored bacteria. And I just learned as I'm, much I'm, as I could do.
0: I must be your clone somewhere over the rainbow because Maybe. this is exactly Maybe. how I proceed and I how, how I do things as well. So that's why it's like, it's, isn't it awesome learning yeah. all of this? And the most fascinating for me is every time I approach somebody and I learn from them, they're yeah. always happy to share. They want, oh, yeah. people wants to share how they, they work, do. how they do these things. And mm-hmm. it, I don't know, It's it gives a better perspective and you see the pieces of. The puzzle to get uh, come together because most people don't understand that when you work with, and and you probably realize that as well. When you work with different departments, different people, they don't know how they interlock together, they have no clue.
3: Absolutely,
0: until you start to learn from them and see how it affects one, affect the others. But most of people don't realize that because there is so much in their own silo world, and it's like open a little bit and understand, and whatever you do has an effect on everybody, even surgery, even the surgeon, even Absolutely. the patient at some level.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's a cause and effect. And, yes. uh, and yeah, and, and, you know, and later on in my career, when I was in patient experience, I did teach just that to the caregivers because, um, each person in the patient experience has an effect on the next experience that patient's going to have. So Mm -hmm. I can either set up my colleague for success or failure, depending on how I'm treating that patient. Exactly. And and a lot of people don't think about that. They think about their universe, right? Their little thing. It's mine.
0: I know what I got to do. do And that's it. Yes. And there is more to it than that.
3: Oh, absolutely.
0: Oh, that's awesome. So you must have had a good time, quote unquote, to... um, to be to do that so why did you left um the patient care what did you decide to move on because it feels like you went from the healthcare world where obviously you know you did such an amazing job
3: yeah
1: to
0: I'm going to fast forward a little bit to be where you are today so why did you transition from that world to where you are today what made you take that decision
1: I mean, there there was not no one thing that did it, but I I do recall um, at that hospital, my first job, I I burned out. I mean, I basically was 29, 30 years old, um, you know, hospitals don't close. So it's, and uh, I work in the operating rooms, a 24 seven operation. So I had to move right next to the hospital in an apartment. And I remember getting calls two in the morning to have to go in. I mean, I had a, uh, an employee who reported to me who was found sleeping in a closet. And he did it numerous times, so this oh. time they decided to let him sleep and call me and so I was the one to be able to open well, yeah. the closet door and say and and i had to I had to terminate somebody at two mm-hmm. o'clock in the morning yeah. um you know a lot of that was a shock to my system, and you know what i i I ended up you know being on that management side, I really mm-hmm. didn't enjoy it um I know you know so i i I left, and usually what I do or did is when I, I didn't think about looking for other jobs within that hospital. I was thinking I'm leaving the hospital. So my uh, girlfriend at the time who ended up soon being my fiance and then my wife and now my ex-wife, which is interesting how things happen. um, (laughs) She, she, yeah, she had a friend who worked for a pharmaceutical company. And so I figured, you know, well, let me go there and manage, uh, let me be in management in pharmaceuticals i wouldn't be in the hospital but i could still do healthcare, still help and maybe be in management there and it'd be different well i they had a policy that you couldn't start in management from the outside you'd have to go through two years of sales training and sales job before they could promote you from within i said all right i can suck it up i can do pharmaceutical sales for a couple years Mm-hmm. Yes, I was doing it backwards cuz you all my friends who were in big pharma sales went right from college yeah. into it, right? Yeah. I'm here and I and while I was at that first hospital, I got my MBA in healthcare administration too. So here I decide all that work yeah. and I'm going to leave and be a, a pharmaceutical sales rep. Yeah. Yeah. Carrying my MBA in healthcare administration. Don't know what I was thinking at that time, but in any event, I did that, did it for a year was not my thing. And then I decided. Well, you know, I've already worked in higher education, so that's yep. my not-for-profit, non-healthcare.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: I worked at a hospital. That's my not-for-profit healthcare. Yeah. Then I worked for pharmaceuticals. So that's my for-profit healthcare.
3: <laughs> the only
1: one left is for-profit, yep. non-healthcare. Yeah. So I, uh, I went to a recruiter, and I was hired as a operations coordinator. For a broadband wireless telecommunications company, this is back in 1999. Oh wow! When broadband wireless, the Bluetooth was yeah. just in the beta yes. stage. Yes, yep. Uh, it was a startup company in the U.S. They're headquartered in Israel. They wanted to start up in the U.S. It happened to be a town that I lived in, so I, I uh, was I started there. I was the 13th person they hired in the U.S. And then they they went publicly traded. So I'm going to these sales meetings on boats in the city and I'm mean, like get getting stock options. I'm like, wow, this is very different from the hospital area. This <laughs> yes. is great.
0: This is like paradise. And,
1: and what was good is, I mean, I was the operations yep. coordinator. So my role in a startup was I was responsible for the warehouse. Yeah. All the equipment being shipped in from Israel to mm-hmm. the US. So my the inventory system that I created in the hospitals, I got to do it at, at the you know in this sector. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. And then I was also responsible for taking the orders from the sales reps for our company and placing the order to Israel. And, and then I was also responsible for shipping the stuff out to our clients and billing them
2: mm-hmm. and
1: being accounts wow. accounts receivable. So I got to see. The whole operations, mm-hmm. which was awesome to me because I could like get the orders from the sales reps, place yeah. the orders, uh-huh. get the stuff in, uh-huh. ship it out. Uh-huh. I mean, I was even responsible for, for charging for shipping. So yeah. I learned on the back end how you can make money on shipping. Yeah. You pay, you know, you upcharge the, I mean, it's ridiculous, you know? So, anyway, so I did that for about a year and then the market got saturated. Mm -hmm. basically there were too many distributors and sellers and not enough buyers. They started layoffs. Uh And I still remember, you know, during that time they did hire somebody to head up the, the, the um, warehouse who reported to me. So I remember the president of the company calling me to his office and explaining to me the dire financial straits and that they're going through layoffs. They'll probably have two phases of layoffs. And he He said, I had a decision to make. Now put yourself in my shoes. This is the worst. I was probably like 35, 33, 33 years Uh old, whatever. Says to me, You have a choice of either me letting you go right now or the young guy in the warehouse having him be laid off first. Uh So I'm like a giver and I'm thinking, Oh, this poor guy, he's he's got a girlfriend, he's young. And meanwhile, I had a pregnant wife at home and I had a mortgage and I was this close to saying, let me go first. And then I had all these voices on my other shoulder saying, Mm -hmm. how can you do that? You have your wife's pregnant with your first kid. You're two years into a marriage. You've got a mortgage Worst, I mean, I really felt bad. I said, no, you know, him first. And I remember going back to my desk and then seeing this poor guy walk past my desk to the president's office, I knew it was happening. I'm like, and then 10 minutes later, he walks back. He goes, Hey, Drew. And you told me what happened. I said, I'm sorry, man, you know, and hug. Yeah. And, but so and then, about a month later, I couldn't beat them to the punch. I was let go. Mm-hmm. So I was out of work from August of 2000. And then I had decided I was I still didn't want to go back to healthcare, And so I was looking at all different stuff, substitute teaching. Well, I was accounting. I didn't know. (laughs) I ended up deciding to go back to hospitals because that was my comfort zone. Yeah. And right before I started to look, then September eleventh, two 2001 happened when our towers were hit in the city. Uh, So then, you know, all bets were off. Yeah. That was really the time when I decided really to go full force into healthcare to to be there to help and everything. So it wasn't until March of two thousand two that I went back to the hospital industry and I went back into the OR, back into materials management. Wow. Yep. Unbelievable. Yeah. And and that was a good. I was there at that hospital for ten years.
3: Mm-hmm. And I
1: started out again. I traded this the jacket and tie back yep. into scrubs. Yep.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And then. But is Five
0: this time, okay, that, yeah. so is this time around was a slightly different, meaning like, did you get more people to support you on overnight or were you doing exactly the same thing over no, again?
1: It was, it was different. It was in the hospital that, that, that my sister was born in. So it was one where I felt much more of a close knit tie to the community okay. hospital.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know, I, I went in being responsible for the materials management and it, it, we were built, a brand new same day surgery center was built. Okay. So I was hired and brought in to get the inventory going and mm-hmm. and and really do all the materials management stuff. And uh, so it was different in that respect because I could use my creative juices and how to set up the inventory system and 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 so it was different in that respect. And um, and you know also being in same day surgery is very different from being in an operating room. Yeah, you know and, and there in the. The at the hospital, you know, this this was an opportunity for me to build something like yep. from ground from ground up. But midway, I, uh, a position opened up in strategic planning and business development. And also as a part of being a data analyst, they were just starting up their patient experience program because you're talking about yeah the early 2000s when it was just up mm-hmm. and coming. So I uh yeah I t- I decided to put the jacket and tie back on and I was a data analyst doing feasibility studies and profit and loss statements for yep. new programs for the hospital mm-hmm. and starting up the patient experience program so it was about 80% doing strategic planning stuff and 20% patient experience and the president wanted me to within you know within 2 years to really build the patient experience so I could work on that 80% and the planning stuff 20%. So that was what I was charged to do. Nice, Ben, ben. what happened? <laughs> well, what happened was I loved the patient experience stuff so mm-hmm. much that, um, that I was really gearing towards that. And then my boss at the time, the director, she was recruited by a hospital in Manhattan, very well-known hospital a New York Presbyterian, she was recruited to be the corporate director of patient experience. And wow. the minute she took that position, it was officially there. I got a phone call.
0: No, well, yeah. Why well, yeah. would well, she left you behind? We don't yeah. left people behind, especially when you have done and develop everything. She is a smart lady.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and I, I miss her. She was awesome. So she, she recruited me there and I was the patient experience specialist for Wild Cornell medical center for three and a half years, which is a wonderful experience. And then New York Presbyterian bought out New York downtown, which is the hospital by the mm-hmm. Trade Centers
2: mm-hmm. and
1: bought it and renamed it New York Presbyterian Lower Manhattan Hospital. I transferred over there to start up their patient experience program. I was there for a year and a half and traveling into Manhattan was kind of took its toll on me. Um, and that's where my I ended up getting separated with my marriage and and so that all happened. And I wanted to really work, be closer to my kids and I had an opportunity to go to a, a hospital in Rockland County, New York, and be the director of patient experience there. So I took that opportunity back to New Jersey and I did that for about a year and a half. And then, um, you know, I was let go. Uh, I reported a HIPAA violation and um, I still think that was the reason. Two weeks later, I was let go.
0: Oh, you know, uh, yeah. I'm gonna say this. Um, yeah. <laughs> anyone who reports things, HIPAA yeah. or not, Yeah. retaliation still exists. And I know, um, and I'm not saying people should not report because you have experienced that. I have experienced that for uh, two years, actually, over 24 months, I was hunted down. And when I say hunted down, meaning I was reporting things that did not make any sense. And they tried every single day. It was uh, psychological warfare, Mm. basically for over 24 months Mm. and I was by myself defending myself even though the worst part was um, Mm. HR knew what was going on. However, because of political things happening and you had a VP above who was protecting the people who should have been fired but was protecting them. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, it was, you know, you pay the price. When I left over there, I will always remember because I was going over there every day, right, making as small as you know I became I did what I call it a sleeping beauty phase, meaning mm. putting myself or trying to put myself invisible quiet sure.
3: yeah, yeah, so the
0: less the least noises I would do, the better it was. however, because we were in an open space,
3: right.
0: people were listening next to where I was, yeah they would drop stand near the wall the cubicle wall and listen to the conversation to oh try to God. nail me oh they tried everything trust me I it know. was one after one after one when I left I amazed myself because I left with my head up pie I'm like I am nothing to you know to be sorry for right I knew because I talked to the HR and I said, I know. I said, they are protected and you could not do anything. And they looked at me and just shake their heads. They could not say a word. And I was like, I understand. So I'm not angry. I said, but watch out for them because they will never stop what they're doing. What they did to me will do further. And they have done that. Yeah. Me, yeah. I lasted 24 months of attack. Trying yes. to nail me on things that never stick because I never did it.
3: Right. Absolutely. It was
0: very difficult. When I left, I said, I'm amazed that I was going over there, not making noise. I never flinched, never blinked, nothing. Mm
1: -hmm. I
0: was exhausted at some point. I was, it was exhausting.
1: And where is he down?
0: I was surprised how much resilient. I'm like, now I can go anywhere. Trust me. I've done through hell back and forth since I'm a young kid. But I said that warfare, that psychological warfare did not Mm -hmm. work. At the end of the day, I'm like, I am as strong than I thought I would ever be. I was shocked for me that I've gone through hell for over 24 months.
1: That's that's how how we learn. That's how we Mm -hmm. learn about ourselves through adversity, through overcoming adversity. That's how we learn about who we really are.
0: when I'm hearing, oh, you know, you can report, and I reported it because they were attacking me. People were incapable to do their jobs. It was terrible. You need to realize, people, if you are going in there, you're going to be on your own but just do what is right for you to do and report what you have to report. Retaliation yeah. will always come. Even though a company say we don't retaliate, it's a BS. It's a lie because they will always. cover yeah. themselves yeah. no matter what, yeah. but do what is right. So for me, you see, we're, like I said, we're twins. We are twins well, we somehow. Are we have a very interesting path.
1: Yeah. The funny um, part of it, the par- funny part of it is like I couldn't get my stuff from my office. I was escorted out and uh, everything was shipped back to me. Now, uh, seven weeks later, in LinkedIn, I, I see. Pl- please congratulate so and so for becoming the director. Of, and it yeah, was the yeah. person yeah. Who, who did
0: that yeah. did
1: the infraction. Yeah, was now had my old job. I was like, yeah. But you, you know, know, after a while, you know, you get really tired. The closer you move to the top, you, the more you get in trouble for doing the right thing. And I know that, that's the reason I left the hospital industry.
0: Well, even if you're not on the top top, if you see something and I wasn't on the top top, but I reported it, you you pay uh, very, very, it's very dirty and nasty
3: when you do that. It's, it's a and, shame because
1: they, they say, yeah. um, when if you see something, say something, right? Yeah. And so that's ingrained in the be. culture, right? It's only until you say something that you really then see You
0: something. get the repercussion <laughs> of it. And it's like, okay, I'm trying to do something good here because something is not right. Yeah. And you pay the price, but you know what? It's not a bad thing because it led you to where you are today. So yeah, you know what? You, I don't
1: regret anything. Yeah. I, I I I'm this close to sending a thank you note. I'm not sure. You, should. Going to. you <laughs> should.
0: You should post you should write you should write a blog and not without uh, you know giving the thank you notes for those people. But you sure. should write a blog and be thankful for that. For me, uh, even those twenty four months, I do know that oh, they probably hit my guts left and right, and they were probably happy at the end of the day. But yeah. I believe that they pay a price at the end of the day too, because there was yeah. repercussion afterwards, or yeah. they found another scapegoat or whatever the deal was. But those people will never go anywhere either, meaning they yeah. will never go higher into the organization yeah. because it's they are rotten to, through the core, and they yeah. will stay where they are. For me, it was. A way for me, the universe to keep my ass and say, "Okay, ma, you got enough of here. You you have yeah. nothing to do here anymore. Yep. It's, time it's time for to you go. to move on. Time to go." Time. Time but to go. yeah, it was it was very um yeah they want did they, they tried everything for me to quit and I never did. I'm like, nope, nope, nope. I'm not quitting. People and came with the same face, smile every day, even though it yep. was yeah, difficult. Absolutely. But that's amazing. Yeah. So. After you, you got let go, what did you do? How how was your state of mind at that point?
1: Actually, oh, yes. Yeah, you know, um I I felt relief in my gut and my heart, and I was really upset and torn in my head because yeah. the um, you know it, the whole episode kind of challenged me: should I have done the right thing? And I knew I should, but in my head, I'm like, you know what? If I just let it go, no one would have known I'd still have my job. And then I thought, you know what? For some reason I feel relieved. Yeah. Yes. The, mm-hmm. the six figure salary is now gone. Yeah. But I, I felt, I felt younger and lighter. Yeah. So, so, so that's how I initially felt at the time. And I didn't have much time. To really overthink, like I usually overthink, because in rapid fire, so much happened. Mm-hmm. Adversity happened after that. Yeah. That led me to where I am right now. Um, so yeah, I didn't I didn't see what was coming after that job. I was out with job. I thought I could just dictate the rest of my course of my life. Well, the universe dictated what it's on the way, next. yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, it, just, was, it was necessary for you to go through that like I did with me. It, right. it Sometimes the roads are not as pretty than we think they are, but we don't see the, the light at the end of it. We have no right. idea. Like you said, it's going into the unknown and we have no idea what's the next move.
3: Absolutely. But there is a
0: reason things happened. And if you were to stay there, that would have probably make you sick through your stomach because you knew something. Yeah happened and your conscience would have reminded you every day. So that would have maybe push you to become sick or something along those it lines. It could have been I
1: I would have left. I had already been um contacted by recruiters to go to other hospitals. So it was in the back of my mind that if it didn't work there, I'll have another hospital to go to. Yeah. yeah.
2: But
1: I but I had already known since I worked at four different hospitals, I had already known they're all the same. Exactly. Yeah. You know, exactly. This, because they recycle the people. You end up finding people that oh, yeah. They, they yeah. don't leave the industry. It's like they just keep going. So you're You see the same it.
0: people at the different, ah, I saw you the last time yep. over there. Another yeah, year, great. Yeah. So same Crazy. people, same circle. And it was time for you to move out of the circle and that monkey and circus and do something Absolutely. brand new. Absolutely. So, okay. So after the, so for the aftermath, so you think about what you're going to do next. Like you said, you had recruiters already contacting you. Yeah. Did you decided, did you just took some time off and said, okay, I need to rethink what I'm going to do? Or did you just say, I'm going to pick up the phone and start to call them and see what's next?
1: Well, I really, I, I ended up, my intent was, was to take a couple weeks off, you know, because I, you know, I did uh, pursue, uh, you know, recourse. So I was able to get a couple months of pay, you know, additional. So I figured I had time, the money was going to come in. Uh, of my regular pay, then I can go on cobra, so uh-huh. I figured I had time to just um and, and then and I can go on unemployment, but the unemployment money wasn't good enough, so I knew that I had a time frame
3: uh-huh. where I was
1: going to get my salary and yeah. I'd start looking then the thing is, I didn't even have time to even go through any of that because ten days later, at a therapy session, my son admitted to his therapist that suicidal ideations. And oh. made an attempt, which is more of a cry for help. Yeah. The night before, so my whole life just shifted yeah. into. So we ended up that that's that's what ended up happening ten days after I lost my job, and he was released back to me, twenty four seven. I I was divorced at the time. It got and and I kept the marital home, and all three kids lived with me. Um. So he I, he was back with me and. He needed to go to an outpatient residential home to try mm-hmm. to, he, to heal, heal and to get better. Yeah. He was only 14 and um, we couldn't find a bed till uh, mid, beginning of December. So from wow. end, of Octo- end of October to beginning of December, mm-hmm. so I needed to be with him 24 seven. Mm-hmm. So, so that, was, that answered the why,
3: yeah.
1: why I did the right thing and got yeah. let go. It was And because, that's a good thing. Oh my god. I mean it was a blessing because yes, I needed to it's be. Yes, a blessing. With him.
0: Yeah.
1: And so that's what I did. I was uh, told him the only my only job as a father is to keep you safe.
3: Yeah. So
1: exactly. No matter seven, what. he was mm-hmm. not out of my sight and uh you know and he's doing great now. He's doing good. He's going to college in a couple of weeks. Um thank God. He's doing he's doing well. Good. And then uh you know so then at you know at that point I was thinking about what, what my next move was. And then as my son was up there, my dad unexpectedly got sick and passed away three weeks later. Yeah. So my dad passed away January 13th of 2019 and that rocked my world. Yeah. That's when I, I mean, I always want to own my own company. So that was my next step. I was going to start a healthcare consulting company to educate doctors and nurses had to communicate effectively with patients and families to help them. Oh, yes, please. Because, oh, my goodness. Yes. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I remember there was a landmark study back in the 90s oh. to air as human. And it said that 90 percent of medical errors were due to poor communication. Oh, it's not that poor. <laughs> it's, so, so I I, yeah, I, I figured, OK, why don't we enhance the communication to reduce yes. the medical errors, you know?
0: Exactly.
1: But when my dad passed away, I gave up my dream. And so I... I, when I, ended, I got a cold call from a company called Career Transitions, and they said, Do you want to own a company? I said, Yes. And they said, Do you want to own a franchise? I'm like, Not really, but I'll listen. I said, I didn't mm-hmm. want McDonald's, you know, or, yep. or Burger King, you know.
0: Exactly. They said, No, yep.
1: there's service oriented ones. So I said, All right, I'll listen. They introduced me to a franchise advisor. I worked with him. It, I started to work with him actually before my dad got sick.
3: And when oh, my wow. dad
1: got sick, we stopped the process.
3: Yeah.
1: And uh, and then when he passed away, probably took me about four weeks to start the process up again. Uh-huh. And I looked at 14 different franchises, nothing in healthcare because my ego nope. was bruised. My ego was bruised yeah. by healthcare. So, wow. so I ended up buying a cost reduction and expense reduction franchise, business to business. Owned uh-huh. that for about three plus years, but my heart wasn't in it. And during that time, I met a woman who, is an editor, and I started writing a book. So my book's coming out at the in, in the fall. It's going to be about overcoming adversity. But I so I, see
0: we're going to stop here for a sec. Now yeah. this is my excuse. Yeah. Episode number two coming mm-hmm. just before the book is released. So we're going to have to put a date down. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we Absolutely. can talk. We will talk about the book.
1: Absolutely. Before
0: the release. Yeah.
1: So so when that comes up, but in the meantime, I sold my franchise, I sold mm-hmm. the clients to another franchisee, yep. and I'm putting my entire personal and professional life diving into helping men to support, just really to help them overcome a, a adversity uh, in any way, shape, or form, whatever that adversity, because men don't ask for help. I didn't ask for help. Um, it's seen as a weakness for men to ask for help. You know, you got to be strong, suck it up, be a man. So
3: yeah. Yeah. So
1: for me, I've been telling my story. What I've told you for about the last year and a half, and men are coming to me, thanking me for telling my story, thanking me for for being out there and being vulnerable. And so I'm starting a men's support group, men supporting men collaboration tribe. We're launching it on September 15th. I recruited seven men across the country who I've been networking with, who have gone through amazing tragedies and adversity and have overcome them, and are now successful in their life and in business. And they actually are in the business of helping men. So they agreed to be my founding members of this group and helped me build this and I it to go, it's gonna go global. And it, it's gonna be a, a space that's a no judgment zone that men can come in at any stage of their adversity. They may have no adversity, but wanna learn how to ask for help and how to find support. Or they may have already overcome something or they're going to or in the middle of something but it's just a place for men to be supported by men with no judgment and I've got these seven guys who are experts in their field so I'm opening up my network and seven other networks to men who just need a place to be supported and that'll that's what I'm going to be doing you know so
0: that's pretty powerful that's totally powerful on this one it's nice to see there will be a support for men because and uh, nothing against women, but I think everybody should be able to be helped, even overcome diversity, uh, adversity, and diversity. But it's adversity yeah. we're talking about. Yeah. Um, it everybody should because it's it doesn't cross. You know, it doesn't matter what gender you are, how old you are, you are going to face adversity no matter what. This yeah. is part of our life. This is part yeah. of what we are learning life lessons. Yeah. But it's um it's very challenging to be able to, to do that, especially when you do it on your own and have a supporting group, a uh, sounding board that will save the life and that will help people because wherever you have gone through, if you're able to share your story, yeah. somebody is going through something similar. So it's good to have somebody else's to hear their story. And take a cue from it, and being yeah. able to move forward and do something with it, so I think it's pretty powerful,
1: yeah, so well, you know too too emma is is we we have to have start having the conversation that it's 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 a strength for men to be vulnerable and it's okay, yeah, you can still be strong, yeah. you don't have to be vulnerable and get walked all over. you can no. be vulnerable and have some strength
3: mm-hmm. the
1: The thing that I'm going to be able to do is not just help men, I'm going to be supporting women who have mm-hmm. men in their life. Because I've already talked to women who thank me because she's got two sons who she wants to be able to help them grow to be strong, mm-hmm. empathic men. Exactly. She's got to learn what they need. Yes. Um, you know, and, and 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 women married to men and mm-hmm. women who have fathers and women who have brothers. And so I'm not just supporting men.
0: Um, no, because essence- it's full
1: circle. You it, know? It is. And it, it, it,
0: okay, yeah. so transformation comes within us, and yeah. helping men will help their entire outside um, conditions, meaning whomever they have in their lives. It's yeah. like when we talked, I talked to another, uh, well, uh, Miguel, that you're going to listen to here, right. to the conversation. Yes. When you do a transformation in yourself, you impact your outer condition, you impact everybody in your life. Mm. So for me, it's you're helping everybody. It's like the ripple effect. When you throw a stone into the water and you see the ripples,
3: ripple it effect, touch yeah.
0: everybody. Yeah. You I do something here. Somebody at the end of the earth on the other side of the earth will feel the impact one way or the other.
3: Absolutely. And that's
0: the same thing here. So for me, what you're doing it is focusing on the men to overcome their adversity, and that will trigger positive changes in their lives
1: and mm-hmm. the
0: Absolutely. life of others. So for me, Absolutely. I think it's pretty powerful.
1: Yeah, and I'm looking forward to it because if, if, I can, if I can assist one man to learn something and be able to apply it to improve mm-hmm. his life, then I've done my job. I just want to help one. Like you said, it's, it, it'll be a pay it forward too because that man I'll be able to help, hopefully will be able to help his own child Absolutely. Or or his relationship with his wife, or his relationship with his father, or his colleagues at work, because you can get adversity at work, right? Yes. (laughs) Right? You did. (laughs) uh, I had a little of that. Yeah. A
0: little. Well, it's more than adversity by telling the truth and being booted out because you tell the truth. That's adversity in my book. It's the big no no. And yes. all of the well, no-nos. They said, is, it was, no. they
1: said they were just looking to have a leadership change.
0: Uh-huh, right. It's, well, was, you know, they're never going to say anything else because they know you it can be sued. Yeah, but they know yeah. the truth. You know the truth. They cover, yeah. they cover, their, they cover their tracks the best they can. Uh, it's typical. Cool. But it's okay <laughs> because you yeah. you came through adversity. Like we said, you walk on the fire and you felt it. You felt everything, but you did not fail in the fire. You right. walked through the fire. So mm-hmm. now you can helps somebody else's as well. And that's exactly what you're doing. So to me, it's pretty powerful. It's absolutely wonderful for you to have decided to do that. uh, After everything you have gone through, it's amazing.
1: Well, thank you, Emma. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah. So profit compassion is what you're doing now. It's helping men.
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, the play on words is on on purpose because if we are compassionate, Mm Other people profit from that and yes. we profit from that. Yes. Right. And vice versa, if someone's compassionate to us. It's the same, same thing. It's uh, I want that reciprocity. Yes. Uh, now also profit means this is what I do for a living yeah. and I'm going to be doing this full time
3: mm-hmm. and
1: yes, I'm going to get paid for it. And yes. I'm going to take that money and reinvest it into the work I do. And it's gonna give me the ability to pour in all my energy, all my time, and that money back into my family, which will make me a better person, and back okay. into the business will then will help others. So that play on word was important. Oh, it company.
0: it's it totally is, and it's amazing um to see this happening right now because we need supporting groups for equally for men and women. Mm-hmm. And I think there is less room for men known because it can because of the stigma. The shame people can feel, and it's like no, you should not be feeling ashamed. You should, if you need a support group, take a support group. If you need a coach, go get a coach. Uh, that was when I was me. Uh, when you got to listen to that uh, podcast, like uh, we talked about it, and I listening back this morning when I was coming back home was very interesting because you need to hire a coach who has a coach. If the yeah. guy doesn't have a coach, then you don't hire that person because they don't believe in coaching.
3: Right. Absolutely, I have Absolutely. a coach. Yep, I, I help have coach other coaches. Mm-hmm. So
0: it's like, we all have a coach. Everybody yeah, totally. has a coach and should have a coach. Yeah, it's should. not, right. you know, so right. I found that amazing to be able to do that for others and yeah. focusing on a man that can help them to live a better life. Why yeah. not? Because Growing in the outer condition, because not everybody had a pretty rosy, pinky life, what we have learned and how to overcome adversity and who we are and become the better better part of our own self comes by peeling those layers. So having the right help to show them
3: the path,
0: to show them how, because, you know, you can bring the horses to the water, but you can make them drink, but you need to show them the tools for them to start to do it.
1: Well, it's, you know, it's true, and and you mentioned tools. Uh, I, I ideally I want to start helping men before they have adversity. Yes. And you know, in my research, um, you know, I've learned that more than fifty percent of our belief system is formed by the age of seven years old. Oh, well, right? that's
0: a bad sign.
1: People who, yeah, it could be our parents, our family, yeah, and yeah. Then if you think yeah. about it. What we're learning is a compilation of their, their and my, our parents' entire life
3: and they learned stuff
1: when they were Mm -hmm. seven. So, and then 90% of our belief systems formed by the age of 18. That's before we've even seen the world. Exactly. Now, now here's the interesting part with the gender differences with this. So both male and female, 18 years old, 90% of our belief system. Mm
3: -hmm. Now the
1: prefrontal cortex. Yep. Right? The part of our brain that determines decision making and judgment matures for, for females at yep. approximately age 18. So women are, in essence, aligned belief system, maturity yep. mm-hmm. of the decision making part of the brain. Yep. Well, males, prefrontal cortex doesn't mature until we're 25 to 27 years old. Yeah, we know so basically when people <laughs> say women mature quicker yeah. than men well yeah yes. you have a nine, seven <laughs> nine head start on us with the brain thank you very I much
3: know. i mm-hmm.
1: only knew you know the funniest part is you only say it's
0: so true because i remember when i was a teen in my in my 18 when i was 18 19 we made a comment with my sisters we only knew two guys who were mature enough out of mm-hmm. all of the guys mm-hmm. and i'm yeah. like. My God, what is wrong with
1: that? Well, you know, so so you have women are in alignment and and males yep. are programmed. We're yep. built to make yep. bad decisions at a young age. Yes. So that's why I want to be able to start by helping the 40, 50, 60 year yep. old men. Yeah. Work my way back because yep. someday I'm going to be speaking at colleges. Yeah to these, the, the 17, 18, 19, 20, yep. 21 yep. year old men. And you know what, another, and you love data, another piece of, two more pieces of data. I was talking to my therapist and I told him what I told you about this seven years yep. and 18. Yep. He said, Drew, <laughs> did you know that 90% of people who have their first um, panic attack, it happens in their college years. Wow. And I'm thinking, how old are you in your college years? 18 yep. to 10, 20, 21, 20. 22. Yep. Bingo. Now, think about this. If a woman has her first panic attack in college, she's 17, 18. Yep. When does the judgment and decision-making prefrontal cortex mature? About that age. Mm-hmm. And women are programmed, and society and enfor- reinforces it, to ask each other for help. Yes, so, you guys know, you women know how to get down to the root cause and address the root cause. Now, we men, on the other hand,
0: I'm so not built up to do
1: that. We it's don't like have the it. darn tool. No, you don't. It's like asking it. for directions. Plus, plus, we're not supposed to ask questions and ask for <laughs> help. That's not fair. We were built to, to, to self destruct, and that's not <laughs> fair. So,
3: I so love it. I
1: want to get in. See. I want to start talking to those high school boys at 14, and to say, before all this stuff hits the you know what, this is the thing that you don't have yet. And you're yes. not going to have it for another 10 years. So, in the meantime, listen to us. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know. and, I mean, <laughs> you don't know what you don't know, Emma. No. Jeez, you know? Even if you think you know, this is the Even worst spot. Think.
0: Even if you think, because at that age, you're like... Well,
1: they think they know everything.
0: I know. Yeah. That reminds me when I was younger. I wrote a blog about it, actually, yeah. stating it that asking my own self, and I think I knew at that time what I knew, which is nothing compared to what I know today. Yep. It's like, mm-hmm. because we're pulled between the childhood and the adulthood, this is where like we're like in the middle of the crystal is trying to figure it out. And we want to be adults. We want everything, but we see black and white we don't see the the shade of gray and life is a shade of gray it's not black and white this decent and right. when they're gonna go to real life they're gonna understand very quickly well, oh boy there is some true.
1: shade so life is backwards We yes. should be born at age 40 50 yes agreed <laughs> and then we should go to middle school high school college have- <laughs> You know, get married, have kids. I agree. (laughs) I agree.
0: (laughs) I love it. We are. It's totally backwards. I totally agree with you. I love that conversation. (laughs) This is so true. But, you know, when hormones are kicking in, who gives a crap? Party's coming on. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) We're more busy to have a party and having fun than to think. I
1: thought thought babies are from storks.
0: Oh, yes, they do. Just stop like a target. They have plenty of
1: those. <laughs> I didn't know about the birds and these bees. Gee.
0: <laughs> what happened the first time? No, it doesn't. It wasn't mm. in a book. Nobody told mm. me that. Yeah, you know. I yeah, know, okay. I know. It's a know. store. It's a store. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's going to store. It's I went store. shopping. I didn't realize what I had in the basket. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Sure. But that's so true. But yeah. teaching the younger generation, it's got to be a challenge because for those guys to get it, the tools, yeah. they need the tools. They need to be able to, you know, as a parent, um, yeah. and not every parent should be a parent. I'm sorry to say that, but some people true. don't have the full understanding, yeah. you know, to take care. You have to show them. And, and it's not the school who should teach them and bring them those tools. They should be the parents.
1: But the parents didn't have the tools. Right. So you're like, so how do we, how do we educate parents before they become parents?
0: Well, good luck Uh, with that, because at this point it's not.
1: No, um, I know. So, so it's, it's, it's it's going to be, and, and I guess the, the, my answer is find one person to help. Yes. And after you help that person, and that person starts to help one person, exactly. and while that person's helping a, a one person, and you're out there helping a second person, and exactly. then, boom, boom, boom. yeah, so it's going to take time.
0: <clears throat> yes, but we have
1: to start the conversation because if the conversation is not started, there is we no don't time. go anywhere we absolutely
0: Mm-mm. don't go anywhere so it will not be for that generation right here right now but it will be for the next one to be able yeah. to have those tools like yeah. we said i said leadership should be taught at school and i'm talking kindergarten S- teach leadership start to explain to children creativity being creative because we are all our own trailblazer and entrepreneurs
1: leadership and, yeah. personal personal finance yep. leadership how to yep. handle money all that kind of stuff. How to make decisions, all those things. Exactly.
0: And it should be taught at a young age because you yep. can teach this. I remember it's funny. We're gonna go to memory land here for a sec. Yeah.
3: Um,
0: when I was in Europe, the first time we had to go to camp, oh yeah. good lord, Hit it, hit it, but that's all right. And got yeah. sick over there and I had to go surgery, which was funny. Whoa. Not funny, but yeah, 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 yeah. Well, yeah, that's what happened when you, you go. So go on a train, whatever. Over there, what they did, it was over there the first time that I see the concept of a check. So you were writing checks. They show us how to write checks. So, you know, the parents gave you the money to go, you know, whatever, 100 bucks, 50 bucks, 20 bucks. And during your stay, which was a month, which felt like an eternity, actually, um, they had those little checkbooks and you had and you used it. Actually, mm-hmm. so they started to show you how That's to use a checkbook. That's good. And out of my sisters, I must say, probably my mother never understood why. Every time we went, went to come, camp three times one in France, two in Italy. And she never understood why I always come back with money. My two sisters were broke. I always <laughs> money
3: back. I
0: love <laughs> she it. ever spend money? Like, I spent some, but no, I was fine. So I always came back with the still, money. Still. <laughs>
1: That's a great story. You want to hear a funny checks? This is a good story. So you know when I learned how to write a check was in fifth grade because the middle school I went to, which was the same one my kids went to. Yeah. They had home economics class. Nice. In fifth grade. Nice. And half the year was home ec where you'd learn how to write checks, all like that type. And the last half was cooking and baking and cleaning up after you cook. Oh. I love so it. I, and now, unfortunately, mm-hmm. school got rid of that program. I and mean, that's but, too bad. But I remember the best part was the cooking part. I remember the guys, we were we got to pick our own groups. Yeah. Pretty stupid. Like all the women, all the girls are picked themselves, right? Well, yeah. And the guys by themselves. So I'm with these guys, <laughs> these three guys <laughs> and me. Yeah. And we're taking so long to cook. By the time we were just ready to put the stuff in the oven the class was over oh. so so we had and then we had to everybody had to clean up we were so late the, the food was finally cooked we didn't get a chance to eat it we put all the dirty stuff back away dirty like oh, oh but but the kitchen looked great and then about an hour later over the loudspeaker would drew duraney and please come to the, the principal's office we had to, we were brought back into the home kitchen and she yeah. made us, the teacher yeah. made us open up every cabinet, the whole place, even <laughs> if the stuff was clean. <laughs> and we had to clean even <laughs> our stuff and our dirty stuff. Oh my I will God, never do stuff. that again. And I, now I teach you my kids, you got to wash the darn dishes. That was I like, love
0: it. That's I a that. great way yeah, to
1: do it. Fifth grade, fifth grade. <laughs> We should all be learning that. Geez.
0: I know. Those are the basics.
1: Yeah. Those right. are the
0: basics. And unfortunately, it's not being followed at all. Or, you know, it's like, I'm not the maid, so clean it up. Clean up after yourself. Well,
1: you made a good point though, because of the basics. So think about it. If if you're building a home, yeah, and you don't put those, what are what are the things that keep everything up? What are they called? The struts. The str- the strut. Yeah. Let's say you don't put them up and yep. you put something heavier, what happens? Boom. Yeah. So if we don't learn the basics, like what Foundation. we just talked about, yep. and that's what's happening. I know. That's what the hell is it? <laughs> it's right there, guys. Jeez. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> you, don't need to
0: be, you don't need to be a rocket scientist to do it, isn't it? <laughs> But that's called laziness. Oh, that's cool. It is. Uh, I know we, we learned the hard way. So it was, um, you know, my parents were children of war. So mm-hmm. the life was different. It wasn't, again, roses and bonbons. And we had uh, to live with, with their lives. Actually, you, you know, when you're a child, you're at, you're at the mercy of the, the people who bring you up. And their story and their legacy and what they're going through. But yeah. it was a harsh time. But I'm glad in one way we did because we, we are self I am self sufficient and self reliant. Meaning we learned yeah. Uh, yeah. to not only rely on ourselves, and that yeah. was what it was where we were living. But it's a good way to learn to live, even if it sounds horrible. It's like no, it's not. It wasn't pleasant every day. But hey, yeah. if I, my mom was working seventy hours a week, we were dirt poor, and she we had to cook uh she would prepare some of the food but we had to cook at the end of the day and we yeah. had to do the dishes we had to clean up we had to do everything yeah. but you know what yeah. i can cook anything that i need to cook now i can pick it up anything from the refrigerator See, that is there. so far uh, i can make a fantastic meal about it but
1: uh, it's So learning when am I when, am I when am i being invited over for this fantastic meal
0: well that sounds good i don't know well when well, when I'm i publish publishing the book i, I will whenever <laughs> <laughs>
1: great <laughs> But you know, and then we, I
0: will have to call the cops and keep you away because generally when I start cooking, well, but, like nobody wants to if leave you the, want the house. Me
1: to clean, if you want me to clean up, I do a good job now. Not like okay, the, perfect. So we
0: got a deal. I will I will make the uh, uh, the dinner and you will clean up afterwards. I will How clean up that?
1: nicely. Yes, I will I okay. love it.
0: We got yeah. a deal. But those are the basics. People need to learn that. So that's. I'm glad to hear your story and I'm glad to hear you're, you're teaching this as well. And you're going to be teaching to people, to young yeah. men. Yeah. Um, and that will impact their lives in a positive way because yeah, you have to do basics, yeah, Definitely that's exciting.
1: Yeah. and the yeah. book
0: coming in October,
1: you said uh, it's probably going to be more like November ish, mm-hmm. maybe it'll be a Christmas gift. I don't know. It was supposed to come out in the spring and it didn't happen, so then the summer and right. it didn't happen, so it's supposed to be the fall
0: okay. oh, this
1: year. Better be yes. a it better this.
0: to be this year because we're going to have an episode number two. So I'm going to be uh, okay. I gotta now. have it
1: out before episode <laughs> number two.
0: Yeah. Maybe I that's what be-
1: I'll tell my editor. I said, you got to get it done. I'm on Emma's Universe episode number two. Yeah. And by the
0: way, I'm being heard over 80 countries around the world. So it better to deliver what uh, what he's supposed to do because we're going to have a riot. Dang. We're gonna have a riot going on here, that's and that's not right. gonna be good. It's gonna be an international
1: incident. We don't want World War Three. We gotta get. The we're already in the middle of World yeah, War III know, with Ukraine and Russia. Now no, we
0: don't want three and a half. We don't want yeah. another one. No more. No, more. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. We don't. We're, we're here for the peace and uh, absolutely. And people moving out of occupied country will be good. That's what I gotta say. Supporting Ukraine, one hundred percent. I agree. So, mm-hmm. but no, but that's wonderful. So the book is coming up. Mm-hmm. Uh, you um, so the, the group is coming up, um, and how people can contact you.
1: No, that's a good question. Right now, my website's under construction, but the website will be www.profitcompassion.com. Uh, the best way to reach me is drew drew at profitcompassion.com. Okay. And, um, you know, I will be having a podcast coming out. Uh, it's going to be called, and you'll love this, From Caving In to Crushing It. Men, know your worth, stand your ground.
0: Can I come and crush your podcast too? Because you said men. So I want to crush it because why not? Yep. I want to crush it. I well, want to you know what?
3: I,
1: I'll be, I would love to have you on. Oh, because yeah. Because. Because I'm going to be interviewing people who've gone through adversity over their lives and overcome it and mm-hmm. share how you did it to give inspiration and hope to other people. That'll be the focus of my podcast.
0: You better to bring your Kleenex.
1: I'm going to bring you two boxes. You have yeah, one. You, you better one to bring your
0: Kleenex. I'm good. I will not be crying, but I'm going to make you cry.
1: You're going to make me cry? All right. <laughs> I right. make
0: people cry. So yes.
1: Well, you know what? I better because I'm telling men that they can be vulnerable. So I better You cry.
0: have to be vulnerable. Okay. You, you know, I... um. People see me as somebody who is like a rock solid, the entire hurricanes, mm-hmm. volcanoes can blow up and I will be fine. But mm-hmm. I'm human and I have, uh, I have the right once in a while to crumble down. And when people see somebody who see, they see them strong and all of a sudden they see them crying or not in a good place, then they freak out because for them, it's like, no, you can't. I say, yes, yeah. I can.
1: But you're right. There's well, I mean, a human I, side kids, of me.
0: Yeah. I cannot be the superhero every 5 minutes. I need I, to be I mean, human. I learned that
1: growing up not to but I, you know what? I've mm-hmm. cried many a time in front of my kids with the whole divorce going on and everything and yeah. tell them, you know what? Dad's human. I'm exactly. not perfect. I'm doing yeah. the best I can to be strong to help you guys, but Exactly. You know? We, so. we,
0: the only time I saw my mom crying was when I got my car accident and I was a pretty ugly one.
1: Yeah. And
0: um yes, and um uh, I was at the hospitals and they were removing the band-aid on my uh, hand and uh, um, I wasn't allowed to see it. I was underage. I wasn't allowed to see my my uh, the injuries and uh, I saw, I was looking at my mom and that was the only time I saw her cry. Wow. The only yep. time. And yeah, I at her, oh, really? this is not good. If it's, yep. she's crying, it's not good. And she yep. didn't want it to tell me the truth. She didn't want to tell me how bad it was. Uh, they even lie at some point because I almost lost my fingers. It uh, wasn't healing. It was pretty oh, bad. Wow. So <clears throat> uh, yeah, they were not counting on me uh, uh, keeping uh, some of my fingers at all. So, but it was very interesting to see her at that time that she was human too, but it was kind of freaky because when you don't see people, oh, you know, it doesn't mean you have to cry every five minutes, but yeah. if you don't see people with the human side of them, but it's always a rock or somebody yeah. that's strong. It's yeah. pretty shocking. So that was one of the things I will always remember for the rest yeah. of my life. It's It was her in right. tears and crying. And I could not see, again, I, wa- I was laying down and I could not see my hand. Wow. So I did not know in which state it was. And talking about doctor, uh, I like the fact you talked about doctor and how to teach uh, actually doctors to be more compassionate when you're talking. Imagine 16 years old have no idea because of the technical part they use actually. Uh, so the c- car crash, and I, it's probably the only time I'm going to talk about it. Maybe later on, I will, but um, 1985 was a great year. It was a beautiful year, and it was a shitty year in the same mm-hmm. time.
3: Yeah.
0: When we, uh, the car, uh, lo- we lost control of the car and um, it flipped over, the, I was in the back seat. So when we said the dead seat is up front next to the driver, it's not true, people, because he can switch. Flipped over, the window exploded on my side, and luckily I turned my head uh inside, otherwise I would have been disfigured. Uh, all of the um basically glasses went into my head, cut the ear at like it was not even half, not even a cent- centimeter before I lost my ear, because it was all cut, and one of my hands was ejected, so my hand wound up between the top of the car and the in the street and for about 60 meters, slide. And I pulled my hand, did not realize that one of my fingers, actually one of the bones, got broken and basically got out. didn't know, otherwise I would have gone on the street and searched for it, (laughs) but it wasn't the case. So when I looked at my hand, nothing looked bad. Did not look crushed or anything like that. It looked okay. I could not see anything wrong with it at all. Then I was missing a bone. And I was sitting down. So I got out uh, underneath of the car. I, I crawled. Never ask yourself, how do you get out of a car in the back of a car? Because that was the month before. I'm like, universe, and me on this. So I'm like, oh, now I know how to crawl back oh my out God. under a car.
3: Jeez. Yeah, that
0: was the weirdest thing ever. So I, I got, everybody got out. I sat down. Uh, it was late. It was like three o'clock in the morning. We passed the car tree. It was supposed to be 11. It was like two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning and sitting down with, next to my sister and i'm i'm feeling blood and i looked at my sister i'm like oh no crack no crack i said blood and i thought it was coming from inside of the ears which i'm looking at her like oh my god it's my brain and we look at each other i'm like this is not good actually it was the the side of my uh, there was the ears actually that was solely cut, which i did not realize either well <clears throat> go through the emergency, worst hospital ever, actually. I was sent to that's the worst hospital ever. So, so, the emergency surgery happened only the next day. It was supposed to be noon, it was supposed to be one o'clock. It was later. I spent about five or six hours on the table. I was only the, what they call it the Canadian, which basically they did not put me to sleep completely. It was only my arms that was put asleep on nothing else. I was still awake which wow. was very painful when you're on a cold slob. <laughs> I'm sorry oh to say God. so cold. Yes. No shit, no socks, nothing yeah. was like, oh my God.
1: Freezing cold, yeah. Freezing
0: cold. Um, And they were talking to me as they were doing whatever they were doing. Didn't realize that the guy was his last day at the hospital, the surgeon. It's the so surgeon, he massa- yeah, he massacred my head. Ali. Yes, yes, yes. He massacred my hand on the top of it. They never wanted to admit it, but he, I knew he did. And they recognized it, but without recognizing it because they wanted a, that would have been a lawsuit afterwards. Well, that guy, uh, when they removed, you know, the first time when I saw my mom crying, so I could not see the, the hand. And a week later, I had to go back over there. Well, here's the worst things that you can ever do to a kid. I didn't saw my hand, I didn't know what, how bad it was. He took my hand, put it on the front of my face, unprepared.
3: Whoa, he didn't even say, I'm going
1: to show nope. you it now. It nope. might be a little nope. scary.
3: Nope, nope,
0: You want Ouch. to talk about being a doctor and do this to a kid?
1: That's awful.
0: That was the shock.
1: You That's see, I realized
0: how bad my hand was because I had no idea because they did not show me it. And, I, and it was all bandaged, so I could not see it. And when they were removing, because I had to go every other day. And it was hours at a time to undo to remove oh it was so painful all of the band and everything but they will not show me this you know it was very patient very but they did not show me what was no he just sticking on in front of me like
3: yep that's wrong yeah
0: that's totally wrong so I said you wanted to educate doctors mm. doctors should be educated on communicating with people and when you're talking to any age even kids especially you know oh no we cannot do anything for you and here we go I'm like oh k okay. not good no 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 so that was a great summer. Well, <laughs> Sorry, let's let's hope suck.
1: that doctor <laughs> let's hope that doctor's is not not practicing medicine. Anymore. Uh
0: he went to another uh, hospital, was transferred somewhere else. So he probably did worse afterwards. But it was not very pleasant, and uh, sh- I should have gone to an orthopedic surgeon. I did not, and I should have been where I should have been sent in the first place. But Do you have full
1: mobility and everything in the hand.
0: I lose I, no. I have paralysis on the. I lost uh, mobility on a portion of mobility on the hand, and physically, well, uh, I think. I don't have any fingers who doesn't have a scar. And I got surgery on some of them. One of them was supposed to be amputated. I refused to do it. So yeah, yeah. It was. you will not realize until you look very closely of, the, of that. But That's it's, just yeah. to share, it's just to share the story of how worse it can get when you talk about medical oh, and yeah. doctors who have absolutely no compassion, no empathy. Yeah. And no. no understanding. We are not no. numbers, we're human. We don't need yep, to exactly. be cocooned, but we need to be taught in a way yeah. that they have compassion and empathy. But you don't Absolutely. stick, you know, yeah. you don't show a kid their hand, yeah. their damaged hands, no. and just say, no, we cannot do anything for you. I'm like, Whoa, okay. That wasn't what I just yeah. Yeah, I kept it to myself. I say, okay, good learning on this one. Yay, thank you, universe. That wasn't good. But yeah.
1: Yeah. No. Jeez. Well, sorry you had to go through that.
0: That's all right. That was part of life. You know, it's just, just, I don't want compassion when people, I talked about it. The worst part is afterwards because people want to see. They want to see what it looks like. They want to see. It's like people have a tendency to like vultures. If you know, if you ever notice on a side of the road, if there is an accident, people slow down because they want to see. I know.
1: Yeah, that's the rubberneck.
0: I don't. I'm mm. like, I don't want to see. I mm. want to go home. That's not our purview. Well, yeah. this happened to me afterwards because when I was kept on bandit for over a month, month and a half, and it was middle of summer, they gave me uh, such, uh, anti the level of antibiotics, they gave it to me because they were afraid nothing was healing, blah, blah, blah. They were afraid of gangrene and whatever the, the crap was yeah. going on. So mm-hmm. after I got everything removed, I said, my mom wanted to do something like, oh, we're going to you're going to wear a protection. I'm like, freak. No, it's like, oh, at the beginning. And then when I got my bandit off, I'm like, it's not happening. Leave my hands alone. I'm yeah. fine. Yeah. But the people, the first thing they wanted to see was my hands.
3: Hmm. Unbelievable. The
0: curiosity. And I'm looking yeah. at them. I'm like, I am not a, a, a zoo here. We're not in a zoo and I'm a monkey here. Just yeah, go really. away. You yeah. really pissed me off. And offended I don't blame you as a kid. But that's what people have a tendency to do. It's like, well, oh, I want to see the scar. I want to see this. I'm like, no, you don't.
3: Yeah.
0: It's not, it's we're not exposing here. But that was another thing, too. Then I really got irritated on that. It was just like, yes, I have to live with all of this. Just leave me alone. I don't need yeah. you to. Oh, so, I want to see because you know yeah, it's uh, like, oh my
3: God. exactly. Yep.
0: No, yeah. but if you can teach, uh again, if you can have the opportunity to teach uh doctors, please do because. Yikes!
1: We'll see. We'll see. with we'll one one doctor at a time.
0: <laughs> one, you know, one doctor will make a huge difference because yeah. compassion and empathy, and a way how to communicate with patients, it's important. It's very important. And mm. some of those doctors have no clue. Yeah. And I don't care how highly known you are mm-hmm. in the world; it doesn't matter. Yeah. You have to communicate properly. Absolutely. And be respectful. And I don't care if you have a title of doctor, you have a PhD and you have this and that, it doesn't matter. At the doesn't end of the matter. day, yeah. you're still human. And Very we are.
3: True. So, Very true.
0: But that's yeah. wonderful. So uh, as you can hear, uh, sorry, and don't cry people for me. Don't cry for me, Argentina. We're fine.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: I don't want compassion and feel sad for me because that's a story. That's part of the life. It's part of the yeah. journey. Yep. You know, I said when that happened, that accident happened to me, I med uh, and that's that's where you realize that whoa you're resilient i said one thing i had two options because people were feeling so sorry for me and i'm like i'm not a victim what is wrong with you mm-hmm. or you become a victim because you want to be babysit or mm-hmm. you make the resolution. and i said to myself i said you know emma there is people in the world that are in a worse condition than you and they do better than you so why don't you shut up Mm-hmm. and get going and that's was my modi since the beginning so Good i never fall into the trap of the oh my head i'm like no 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 yeah. no.
2: Yeah.
0: i let me i was cleaning up i had i came back after surgery i came back the next day at home i was washing the floor i was doing everything like normal i wow. didn't want it to be treated as handicap yeah. or as yeah. more special or this yeah. and that yeah think about the people who are worse and that's, they don't complain yeah. and they have they are enjoying their life. So for yeah, me yeah, it was my amazing. motto.
1: Right. Good and for I, you. Good for you.
0: So no sympathy for what happened to me because that's what happened and that's life. And it's <laughs> that's right. it to live right. with it. I don't I don't, I, don't any... have, I
1: have no sympathy for you. Good. Um, Thank
0: you. I don't want people to cry over it, but it's <laughs> it showed the resilience and it shows that you know, Absolutely. through adversity, yep. move forward, do something that mm-hmm. don't fall into the trap
3: yep. of Absolutely. being a
0: victim so, so I love true. the fact you're going to do a podcast about yeah. adversity and really show people mm-hmm. we are not victims this is life lessons for me those were the mm-hmm. life lessons where I had to relearn everything from scratch
3: yeah absolutely those are
0: the ones that you're like okay I had this I had that but there is more but who cares but yeah. it's it's how to be resilient and just said okay let's do something else let's improvise let's so I'm happy you're going to do a podcast like that. That um, I would we'll be more than happy to be there. As I said, bring the Kleenex because you're going to cry people. I am going to make you right. cry.
3: But I will, I'm going to inspire
0: you too. Yes, you it's are going to inspire.
3: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: So no, do you have any uh, uh, word of um, insight or advice you would like to give to, uh, to the listeners before we close the show? Oh,
1: only that regardless of your gender, mm-hmm. ask questions, ask for help. Most important thing though, ask the right people for help. If there's one thing I've learned is the worst advice we can get is bad advice and bad advice usually is free. So, you know, when when you're going to ask loved ones about taking a risk and you ask Mm -hmm. them what they think, they're going to tell you no because they're looking out for you, but then you're not following your dreams. So if you want to do something, talk to somebody who's already succeeded in that and ask them how they did it and learn from them and then move forward. Uh, That's probably the best advice I could give.
0: I think that's one of the most powerful ones. And I'm glad you come at the end of this session with us, that conversation, because this is what people should take away from this entire conversation. And some other, you know, insight we did, but I think this one is the most powerful one because advice is free or unwanted advice. Because a lot of people want to give advices even if they're not invited, which is even worse. Yep. But at the end of the day, we're accountable for our own actions. Mm-hmm. So if you take a wrong advice, don't blame the people who give it to you. Yep.
1: You have we all you. Have a choice. We have yeah, a
0: choice. I've, I've done the wrong too. I'm telling you, and I knew I was taking the wrong one. But I'm like, at the end of the day, I'm like, yep, it's on you, Emma, because you should listen. You should have known better, but mm-hmm. we all learn our own life lessons. So thank you so much. And again, Drew will be back in, I will say that not next month, but in October, the beginning probably of October, we're going to figure out something. Okay. And uh, oh, yes, you are coming back. <laughs> and the book is better to be ready, ready I to know. be printed. I you have thank no you. choice. you I'm putting you on a deadline right now. I'm telling I you am. right now, I'm challenge, I like to challenge people. This is I what I love to it. do the most.
1: Yeah, so yeah. the
0: book, the, we should have at least a cover going on and we should have a deadline when it's going to be released. No, all right. um, no
3: choice.
1: All right, I will do it. I will. Do Fabulous.
0: It. So thank right. you so much for today, Drew. And it was a pleasure speaking with you.
1: And we'll
0: talk to you in October for your new book.
1: Great. Thanks thank you so much, Emma. Appreciate it. Yeah. For Bye-bye. Time. Bye.
0: Universe Podcast.